to preach your message as you have given it to me. Lord, I bow before you on this day, and I ask you right now that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds, that we might receive the Word of God, that we might take it in, that we might heed it, we might obey it, and we might live in it. Lord, I ask you right now for a great revival. We need a revival. And I'm calling upon you and asking you in faith, believing, Lord, please send us a revival. I pray if there's one watching our broadcast that's not saved, that he or she would trust you before it's everlastingly too late. May you be glorified. And God, I need your help. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. You know, God never intended His people to remain in bondage. He had made a covenant with them and He intended to keep His promise. Let me give you a little background of what's going on. As you, many of you know, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He went down to Egypt and as a result of God's hand being upon him, he worked his way up into Potiphar's house. Well, Potiphar's wife made a pass at him and he was a godly man. He would have none of that. And as a result, she claimed that he uh, was trying to uh, forcibly take her to know her and he was placed in prison yet again. As a result of some circumstances that happened, Joseph was able to interpret a dream, and then he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And as a result, Pharaoh put him in second command of all of Egypt. As God would do, as He does many times, God sent His family over, His brothers over, because they were in a famine, and Egypt had plenty. And so they had to come before Joseph. They didn't recognize Joseph. And a long story short... Joseph finally told him who he was. He got his whole family to come to Egypt. And God blessed them, all of his brothers, all their families. They all moved to Egypt during the famine. As time goes by, there arose a new king, Joseph. uh, There arose a new king that knew not Joseph, the Bible said. This Pharaoh didn't know. And his only task was to use the Israelites as slaves. He made them work. God comes to Moses and tells Moses, Moses, enough is enough. My people are not going to live in bondage and you're going to lead them out. And Moses says, Lord, I can't. I have a speech impediment. These people will not listen to me. And God tells Moses, you're going to do it. And he shows him a series of things. And he convinces Moses that he's going to do it. And Moses and Aaron go in to Pharaoh and they tell Pharaoh, let God's people go. God has told them to come in and let our people go. We want to go and we want to worship. And as fate would have it, Pharaoh didn't like that. He didn't want to lose his servants. And he said, well, these people have too much idle time on their hands. And as a result, they began to weigh upon them heavily and tax them and began to beat them and began to not lessen their quota, but now they have to gather the materials to make the brick to build And they began to oppress them. And what I want you to see is this. God has called Israel out of Egypt. But it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And what I submit to you today is, what will it take God to get the world out of us? Clearly there are some principles seen here that I think are very apropos to today. First of all, 
They had become way too comfortable in Egypt. It wasn't their idea. They didn't go to Pharaoh and say, let us go. They had become comfortable under Egyptian bondage. Even though God had made this covenant and this promise out there, they were fine under the bondage of Egypt. They had forgotten this covenant. It was God's idea. God came to Moses and said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. Because God remembered His covenant. And He is a covenant-keeping God. And just like the nation of Israel in bondage in Egypt, we are in bondage in the world. And may I submit to you that we believers have become way too comfortable in this world. We watch the television and we watch the, uh, the Facebook and all the other social media. And we're appalled at what we see and we should be. But may I say to you that maybe, just maybe, if we would step up and bend the called out assembly that God called us out to be, that maybe some things could have been different. We have become way too comfortable in the world. We've become way too comfortable in the way the world does things. We too have forgotten the promises God made us. Secondly, they had become consumed with Egypt's things. They were fine until Pharaoh ratcheted down the oppression on them. They were fine and they were were perfectly okay with being consumed with Egypt's ways. When God says, let my people go so they may honor their feasts, and later He tells Pharaoh, let my people go so they can go and worship me, the inference there is they were not worshiping God, but they had become consumed with the things of Egypt, and they began to partake in the things of Egypt. They were so consumed with Egypt's ways, they were perfectly content in bondage. It didn't bother them that they didn't worship the Lord. It didn't bother them because they had everything they thought they needed. You know, we too, the church has become very consumed with the world's things. The church has become a very consumer-oriented, materialistic-driven church. I've heard comments, well, you know, I go to this church because they give me something. It's not the church's responsibility to give you something. It's your responsibility to give the Lord something in the church. And that something is yourself. We can allow our country morally to go to hell and to do all kinds of horrible, anti-biblical things and it doesn't bother us. But when the economy starts to drop and it hits our wallet, then we get concerned. We too are so consumed with the things of this world. We're perfectly content in the world. It doesn't bother us that we're in bondage and we're slaves to materialism. We're slaves to the world's way of doing things. Number three, they become convinced that they can do this without God. They had all but forsaken all of worship of God. They were perfectly content to be strangers. They were perfectly content to not worship Him and maybe even to uh, dabble in 
idol practices, idol worship. We too, we too have become that way in the world today. You know, the real problem is that the world has infiltrated the church. The church hasn't infiltrated the world. The world has infiltrated the church. We act like everything was great before last year. We act like everything was wonderful before the pandemic hit. But long before last year, we had separated ourselves from God. I read a study, and I don't know the overwhelming uh, percentage, but it was an overwhelming percentage prior to the pandemic. Do you know what the number one reason why the average people, average people miss church? Youth sports. Closely followed by second, recreational activities. We act like everything was just fine and this pandemic has destroyed us. I've watched on Facebook how people have been critical of the church because we wanted to protect people and we closed down and they were critical of us, yet they hadn't been to church in months before the church closed. You see, this is not a political mess we're in. This is a spiritual mess. And it was so with the nation of Israel. They were in a political mess. They were in a spiritual mess. Do you realize it took 40 years, listen to me, 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. For 40 years they wandered around in the desert to make what some scholars have said should have only taken an 11-day journey. Forty years. See, God led Israel out of Egypt. But He had to lead Egypt out of Israel. Could you imagine what could have happened if 75 million people were as devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ as much as they were to President Trump? I'm told that at the rally, there were people who had pictures of Jesus with a a Make America Great hat on Him. That's blasphemous. God is not subservient to the Republicans or to the Democrats. He's Lord of all. He's Lord over all. And many Christians are sulking and they're acting like the world is over because Trump wasn't elected. Where's God in all of this? Where's Jesus? Is He on the throne in your life? Worldliness is not just the way you dress or talk or act. Worldliness is a divided allegiance in the Bible. The church has become divided. We have one one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. Many of the Christians I know are more concerned with not being able to do what they want to do, such as going out to eat and going to the movies and going to sporting events and shopping and recreational things than they are over their own spiritual condition. We're more concerned that we have to wear a mask than we are 
The spiritual condition of our families. Why? Because we become comfortable in the world. Because we've been consumed with the world's things. Because we are convinced that we can do this without God. We don't need God. I submit to you, we do need God. And we need a massive turning to God and repentance in the church. This is why I say it's a spiritual mess, not a political mess. Approximately 155 million people think that one president or the other is going to fix everything. And I tell you, it's not a president, it's not a political party, it's the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to make everything right. Where's our faith? We're just like Israel. God took Israel out of Egypt, but it took Him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. What's it going to take to get the world out of us? There's a passage of Scripture that God so weighed upon my heart. I had a different direction. I wanted to go earlier in the week of last week as I was studying and preparing and throughout the week. In my daily reading, this just was all over me. And I felt that God wanted me to preach this message. And He wanted me to preach it because it was intended for me first. And I came to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And the Scripture says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God gives us a perfect outline. I heard one scholar say, Well, that promise was for Israel, not for you. Well, let me tell you something. You can believe what you want to believe, but if it's in the Bible, I believe it. And if God says it works, it works. And you scholars can argue that all you want to. But I'll tell you this, he lays out a perfect plan for forgiveness and healing this nation needs. The first thing he says is we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. You know what the most humbling thing is? The most humbling thing is, is when I truly acknowledge my spiritual condition before God. When I come to the realization that I'm not super Christian, I thought I was, and that there's something, some things in my life that needs to be purged. When I come to the place where I realize, God, I can't do this without you. There's a song we used to sing in our churches. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. We have become so proficient in doing things. In our churches, we have very gifted and talented people who do not need the power of God to, to perform and do various activities. But I submit to you that we do need the power of God. We need Him every day, every moment of every day. And we need to humble ourselves and see that. We need to humble ourselves and see that God is not Democrat or Republican. He is sovereign Lord of all. After we humble ourselves, we pray. I mean, we really pray. Over and over I have discussions with Christians and many tell me, Preacher, I find it very difficult to pray during this time. I find it difficult to pray during this time. Listen, how bad does it have to get before God impresses upon you to pray? You say, well, you know, I just don't know how to pray. That's baloney. You know how to talk? Talk to God. Share your heart with Him. Get alone. Who cares what anybody thinks? You're driving down the road and you're praying and worshiping God. There'll be times when I'm by myself and I enjoy my singing. No one else does. 
But I'll be by myself in the car just having a great worship service and people probably think I'm nuts. I may be a nut, but I'm fastened to a good boat. Can I get an amen? We need to pray. And I mean earnestly pray and pray for our government and pray for our leaders and pray for our church and pray for our own spiritual condition and our families because it matters to God. We humble ourselves and pray and we seek His face. It's interesting. Moses went to the Lord and he says, Lord, what what are you doing? I did what you told me to do and now the people are all against me. I love what the Lord says. You stand back and see what's about to happen. You stand back and see what's about to happen. And verse 2 of chapter 6 says, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord, Moses. Not Pharaoh, not you, not Aaron, not the people. I am the Lord. I appeared unto Abraham and Isaac. I made them a covenant. I made them a promise. And in verse 5 he says, And I have remembered my covenant. You know what he told Moses? I'm not remembering my covenant because the Israelites are such great people or you're such a great leader, Moses. I'm remembering my covenant because I'm a covenant-keeping God and I keep my promises. You and I need to seek His face. We need to seek His face. We need to seek after Him. God said in His, in His world, eternal Word, if you seek Me, you'll find Me. He's not playing hide and seek. There's no Marco Polo here. You seek Him, you will find Him. And then He says, turn from their wicked ways. I do not believe you, political leader, <clears throat> when you get on the television and you cry about the oppressions of America, and you turn around and defend tooth and nail to kill 80 million babies in the womb. I do not believe you. You are incredible. We need to turn from our wickedness. We need to turn from the wickedness of thinking that somehow, some way, these political parties are going to save us. You know what they do? They pit us against each other so they can get our money. They fleece us and they laugh at us because they're wicked. God never intended His people to remain in bondage. He calls us out to be the church, to be the church of the living God. And I want to tell you this, church. I know you might be at home watching this on internet or whatever. But I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, if you're willing, I'm going to ask you right now today to get on your knees. Right there in your living room. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Listen, He wasn't ashamed of us when He died on the cross for us. I'm going to ask you to get on your knees. I'm going to ask you to humble yourself. And I'm going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to ask you to ask God for forgiveness and seek Him and repent and ask God right now, God, help me. Help get the world out of me. What we need is a genuine revival. I don't want to live my life and at the end of my life say, I wish I would have done more for the Lord. Let's do more for Him now. But it begins with this humbling of ourselves. It begins with praying. It begins with seeking His face and turning from our wicked ways. Then, then, God will forgive our sins and He will heal our land. If you've never been saved, all this sounds 
like gobbledygook to you. You don't understand it. Because the Bible says the natural man can't understand the spiritual things. You've got to be born again. You have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're uh, unsaved, you're lost, and you're on your way to hell. And the only remedy for you is to turn from your sin and turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross of Calvary. Jesus loves you so much, no matter what you've done, that He's willing to die for you on the cross and pay your sin debt. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't turn over a new leaf. You can't uh, modify your behavior. No. All you can do is receive it. And how do you receive it? You receive it by faith. How do I do that, preacher? Well, number one, you believe you're a sinner. You believe you need God. And then you understand, because you're a sinner, that you deserve to die. Because the punishment for sin is death. And so you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay your sin debt. He died for you. All the sins you would ever do, He died for you and paid those sins. And you turn to Him, believing in Him. You trust Him. You believe that Jesus died for you and that He was buried and He arose from the grave and that because you've called upon His name and you're believing in Him, that He will take you to heaven. That's faith. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And I know that there's some, some uh, over-sanctified saint out there saying, you know, a sinner's prayer. Let me just tell you something. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all we're going to do is help you call on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I deserve to die. But I believe you died in my place. And right now, the best way I know how, I want to turn from my sin. I'm believing in you and you alone to save me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior.